0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the ceaseless, reckless joy of video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined, as always, by two friends. Chris Dow, Cut those balls And Minty Booth V equals A3 cents And this week we are proudly declaring We've got balls <laughs> <laughs> For this special bonus episode today We are thrilled to be joined by Rasmus Jensen Who is part of the team at Bulvert Games uh, The developers of the recent ball rolling indie game Glyph and today's episode is as fittingly niche as we often are here at r3sense and we're taking a deep dive into the history and legacy of ball rolling video games <laughs> in addition to uh, <laughs> to talking with rasmus about the development of glyph so first things first welcome to the podcast rasmus thank you i'm very pleased to be here and thank you so much for the invite And we start, as we always do with our guests, and that's by asking, what games are you currently playing? Between uh, trying to get into more indie games, I
1: always seem to fall back into playing the Total War series. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, right now I am fell back into playing uh, Total War Warhammer 2. Presumably because the new third one is now on Horizon, and it's just scratches that real-time strategy itch I always seem to have.
0: I've always struggled a bit with real-time strategy games. I always feel like I cave under pressure and uh, the ticking clock sort of gets the better of me. And I just like, I can remember trying to play Command and Conquer on the Saturn. I mean, for a start, like playing any sort of real-time strategy game without a mouse is a bit tricky
1: anyway. Total Warhammer has the luxury of the big nice pause button. I can always rely on uh-huh. when things get a little too hairy in case I need to... Okay, everything, just shut the fuck up. I need to see what I'm doing and then I can... <laughs> so, I can, so I can realign.
0: It's the equivalent of when you're trying to park a car and you have to turn the radio off. It's, uh, you know, you just you need that. You need oh, that, that is so well spoken too, yeah. So before we dive into... A whole host of balls. Let's chat a little <laughs> bit about Bulvert Games uh, because the studio is, well, it's primarily a virtual reality games developer, and uh, you've had some, some big VR hits with Dick Wild shoot 'em up games. I mean, Dick Wild and, a, and a, an episode about balls. I mean, this is <laughs> this this is exactly the type of humour that uh, that I live for. And uh, there was also the cataclysmic feline tower defense game, Kitty Pocalypse. Indeed. I had a bit of a play on uh, Dick Wilde um, <laughs> earlier today, uh, which uh, is fantastic fun. But uh, Rasmus, can you tell us a little bit more about the studio and how it came to be and why VR ended up being the uh, the primary focus?
1: Well, it all began back with the founding fathers of the company who met together in some guy's living room. And then <laughs> they, they got their hands on one of the early Oculus Rift developer kits back in 2000, and I want to say 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just like jumped headlong into this new exciting technology. I wanted to see how they could be pushed to be making some uh, some cool games. And it basically came down to like, as you can probably tell from the themes and the content, just like what do we <laughs> think is funny? What do yeah. we want to do? Let us let us, for God's sake, not take anything too seriously and just have fun with this. And uh, let our enjoyment and our passion and our childishness just shine through in the things we're working on and hopefully people will just come along for the ride and will sense the fun will bleed through in everything we do and hopefully also affect the player and uh, of course that's been primarily the bread and butter of the company where glyph is basically the first time we are moving outside our comfort zone and making a what i guess you can call a straight up 3d platformer displayed <laughs> standard controller
0: yeah, I mean, how how is it different developing games for VR as it is then developing a game for I mean not not VR um, I guess is the term. What do you find are the aspects that you need that need to be prioritized to uh, to really get a game right in VR?
1: Well, it's all about the sensory
0: aspects.
1: When you have to work up the world around people, how they interact with things, how they move through locations, how we move the player and around world around them, how you work with sound, how you work with everything. And of course, a constant fight to optimize everything to also run smoothly, Mm. while hopefully not giving the player too much seasickness while walking around.
0: Yeah, I had just played a a fair few waves of Dick Wild. (laughs) And uh, something that's really good about that game is, like you said, it's about the sensory experience and just giving the player a definite position so you know where you are and you know what you're doing and you know what you've got and even just even just down to the fact that with my two controllers like I've got a shield in one hand and I have a shotgun in the other and I could bang the shotgun on the shield and it's just like it felt like something I should be able to do and it worked and the sort of the rumble feedback that you get you know that's enough to give uh, enough feedback to really feel like you you know you've got these things and all of a sudden then you know it just becomes It becomes infinitely more fun because I I always think that with VR, the moment you get that bit of disconnect between the game and the way it it feels to play, as soon as you sort of have that moment of disconnect, the the illusion is, is shattered. And the idea is obviously you want to be totally immersed in this experience. And as soon as you start to see those cracks, all of a sudden you're like, no, okay, this isn't right. You lose that, uh, you lose that quality.
1: Oh, very much so. And also regards to like the feeling of being there and things acting out the way you want to, especially when it comes to movement, but also what will heavily reduce any kind of motion sickness involved because it's always that disconnect with the brain. is like, well, I'm seeing hmm. this thing, but, I'm, but my body is feeling this other thing. And that's hmm. when uh, the brain just goes like, okay, don't, I don't know how to deal with this, so we we'll just get sick instead.
0: I mean, I think that you know that's uh, it's the, it's the reason why. I mean, there's been many many games that have been ported to VR that, in my opinion, do, do not work anywhere near as well as something that's actually been built with VR in mind. You play a game like, I mean, Skyrim VR. Don't I mean? It's it's a, f- a fantastic achievement, and it's 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 amazing that it's been done, but it's just it. <laughs> It's not that fun. It's not that fun. No. <laughs> it's not that fun. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's why like something like Superhot VR, I think, is so successful because it takes the mechanics of the console game and it uses them to build a VR game from the ground up to give you the same experience as the you know the console game, which you know delivers so so well. Like what? What for you? Do you think are like the 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 best examples of of VR games done right?
1: Oh well, of course, that's always our own game, which of course our perfection without uh, any any Actually, any, yes, any yes. without any no- noteworthy competitors. But uh, <laughs> but if I if I were to put my money on something where I had a really nice feeling all the way through, it would be like the VR title Budget Cuts ah. about the office worker who escape the office offices full of robots. Something about the whole interaction system the environments and of just the the, move, the way you move around using the portal gun was immensely satisfying and was like very clearly built from the grounds up to be a VR experience, utilising all the perks that comes with using that technology. Have you played that, Chris?
2: No, I haven't. It's, it's on my list because it does have a version on PlayStation VR, which is the only headset mm. I have access to still. So I, I have kind of had it earmarked for a while that I wanted to give it a go. But I've I've not picked it up. Like it does have a physical release as well, so it's you know quids in for me, something for the shelf and and something to play. But <laughs> I, just, I just haven't got around to to trying it yet.
1: And I was playing games like that. I've been looking at it. It's an Ace Combat. that's made a VR version. I really want to play that too. Mm. Yeah, idea of a uh, fighter jet jets, but in VR. I'm just like, how could that not be awesome? Because you, you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. because you sit, you sit down in your office chair slash cockpit chair. And then you just have to fiddle around with things. That sounds like a perfect VR game to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's why I bought Star Wars Squadrons Day One. I still haven't played it. But, um, <laughs> I... <laughs> but you could. You could. We'll talk a bit more about the VR version of Glyph a little later on. But for now, absolute balls, okay. which is not... A defamation of the content of any of this chat It's merely a playful segue into this next section <laughs> all rolling in video games bolds bolds in video game history like i remember the first time i saw marble madness being played uh, for whatever reason i just wanted to play it like it, it looked incredibly fun i i just i liked the simplicity of it i liked uh, the concept of it i remember asking my brother to get the port of it i think it was on the master system and attempting to find a copy of, I think there was a Game Boy port of it as well. And I remember, a, like a friend of my brother's had it, and I got to play it a little bit, and that was that was fantastic. But there's there's something incredibly minimalist about ball rolling games, because essentially you can you can boil down any 3D platform game to just a ball rolling game. You know, sure that that ball might have arms and legs and a few hats, but essentially <laughs> you may as well just be a ball. With a selection of abilities jumping around in a, you know, in a 3D volume. I mean, we've spoken on the podcast many times, including me actually last week talking about how games moved from 2D to, to 3D too quickly, that there was, you know, probably another four or five years of incredible 2D gaming to be found whilst developers really got the hang of of how to make games in, in 3D. Oh yes. But I think when it comes to ball rolling games, 3D is actually where it really comes to life. Yeah. Like, I remember the first 3D ball rolling game I came across. And you'll remember this, Chris, because we had it when we were kids, and it was a little shareware game that me and you <laughs> became obsessed with. And it was simply called I've Got Some Balls, and uh, balls were spelt with a Z, so you know it's cool. And that was a game made by just a single man called uh, Sebastian Altenen who's a Finnish game developer, oh. which is information that I happen to know off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. Uh, not that I looked up on Wikipedia today. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I have this stuff to hand. And I believe, if memory serves me correctly, he actually went on to work for Ubisoft before setting up Second Order Games, which made a game called Claybook for the PlayStation and Xbox, which I, I didn't know was a thing until I definitely did not do this research.
2: <laughs> Never heard of it. But
0: it's nice to know that he's gone somewhere. Well, well done, that man there. But I've Got Some Balls was, I mean, it probably wasn't a great game, but we loved it. Like, it had all the hallmarks of classic ball rolling games that we know and love. You were a ball. (laughs) You rolled. Classic. (laughs) There were big 3D worlds with lots of challenging platforming sections, things to collect, best times to beat, all that sort of stuff. And it was was presented in in the most psychedelic style possible that, that young me probably thought was rad, but would certainly give currently a migraine
1: i I have just uh, found some nice pictures on google and i will say that uh, this probably looked amazing back then but oh my god these textures did not age well (laughs) (laughs) stretched massively But it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure it was a triumph back then, especially with the lighting. It's very nice.
0: I mean, it's certainly in the same wheelhouse as how impressed we were when we first saw that first-person maze screensaver on Windows 95. Oh, Am I yeah. Right? Oh. <laughs> I, lo- I freaking love that thing. <laughs> but then, like, Marble Blast, Marble Blast Gold, Marble Blast Ultra... These were pillars of the genre. Sega brought Super Monkey Ball to the table as well in the early noughties. Like 128-bit consoles really seemed to be the perfect home for these games. You know, you have the Katamari games on the PlayStation 2 as well. And then then it all went a bit wrong because gyroscopic and motion controls came along and then ruined everything. Well, <laughs> it ruined a lot it ruined a lot of things, you know. Just because the tech was there didn't necessarily mean it had to be used. And I think for 3D platforming to work. You really needed the precision that only an analogue stick and your trusty thumb could give, rather than entrusting the control of your, your precious balls to the willfully disobedient flailing of your whole body and limbs. I mean, I've spoken before about motion controls. The Wii... I mean, there's loads of motion control things to, 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 to roll and control. I mean, there was the travesty that was Super Monkey Ball's step and roll, which used the Wii balance board to control it. I mean... Let, okay, I apologize for this joke. Step and roll, more like set it on fire and don't stop, drop and roll. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, <it's good>. Yeah. <laughs> the whole uh, user input in the kind of motion controls seemed to also. Like, I'm a better kind of coordination or hand skills. I would play real sports. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: Exactly. I think, like, gyroscopes coming into smartphones and obviously, and well, just smartphones becoming advanced to the point where it could run games. You know, you start to see a lot of ball rolling games on the iPhone. I remember having, like one of those like, top-down wooden puzzle box labyrinth games where you're rolling a little ball around. You even ended up seeing ports of like Super Monkey Ball and Katamari on the phone as well. There was there was one game actually on the iPhone that I did quite like, which was called Rolando, which was a, a, a sort of a 2D spin on the ball rolling game. That I mean, it actually utilised motion controls quite well, plus it had a great name, because what would you call a game about rolling a spherical Mexican ball around? Rolando,
3: <laughs> it just works i mean yeah
0: thankfully motion controls started to fizzle out a bit by now and you know people have worked out that the best way to utilize motion controls is in VR and we've had a bit of a resurgence in the genre and and it is a genre of uh, ball rolling with games like uh, Marble It Up which is a spiritual successor to the Marble Blast games. There's been an HD remake of Monkey Ball Banana Blitz which isn't, isn't a great game to be honest but there are rumblings of a new Monkey Ball game in the pipeline somewhere and I mean that's a brief history of ball rolling games and it leads us quite neatly to the most recent hit in the ball rolling marketplace which is
1: Glyph. Glyph. Ah, here we are. It's all coming together. <laughs>
0: exactly. We found we found our way home. I mean, I will I'll come on to what a relentless monkey ball fanatic I am a little later on, but but needless to say, I I I often find myself having from time to time what can only be described as ball-rolling hunger pangs. And I'll often either and I'll often either delve into the eShop or or break out, you know, classic monkey ball to satiate these wanton desires, which is how I came to find games like Rock of Ages and Marble It Up. But but sometimes I, I don't need to look that far. And I remember one day I logged onto the Nintendo Life website, which is one of my more frequently visited websites, and there were just big banner ads for a game called Glyph. It looked like Marble Blast crossed with Journey. And I clicked on the ad pretty swiftly, and I saw a line in the promotional blurb saying it was a real example of Danish minimalist design. And <laughs> as a half-Dane minimalist file, <laughs> quicker than bullet-sleeve guns, I was on the eShop <laughs> and I bought it. But uh, obviously, out of the four of us who are here today, I'm not nearly as well-equipped to talk about the game as our guest, so I'm going to hand over to Rasmus now to tell us a bit more about Glyph. If anyone hasn't seen or heard of it, tell us, what's it all about, Rasmus?
1: Well... Glyph is quite simply a nice atmospheric 3D platformer where you play as a little robot scarab called Glyph who has to maneuver, jump, roll your way through a long series of different levels with the main goal of restoring the ancient temple in the desert and saving the world. That's what put into an example, like example of like a gameplay. It's mostly an example of a strong competitor in the rolling of the ball genre mixed with classical 3D platforming elements mixed with some... We like to think pretty unique vertical puzzle solving as the movement of the game allows for some freedoms that might have been unexplored in some genres and then we just allow ourselves to go crazy and see okay what can we do with this as for any 3d platformer it's one of those things where like well you need to feel it through your hands not your eyes Mm. but if the aesthetic is uh, pleasing for most people it's like very simplistic with a huge focus on desert landscapes which, as far as Danish people are like, as alien as the surface of Mars, the idea of having, <laughs> idea of, a, pla- of a, a place with that much sun, I'm just like, okay, this is, practi- this is clearly an alien planet we're working on, and just working through uh, like uh, ruins, sand, epic landscapes, huge levels, mysteries, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was really a really great example for us to just kind of like, for the creative point of view, just to go crazy and just uh, build some uh, huge, beautiful worlds and just giving ourselves the freedom to explore them. And then we're like, oh yeah, better make it turn it into a game. <laughs> yeah, The whole thing started as actually a side project, uh, as the company was uh, doing some kind of internal game jamming to find out, okay, what should we start working on next time? And uh, we actually had a contender for the next game, where Glyph was actually only won the second prize. But uh, we p- kept going back to it, we kept playing it, even though we were supposed to work on this other game. And then we just kind of like realized, there's something special here. There's something satisfying. There's something here we need to keep working on." And then the other project was scrapped completely and Glyph became our main priority.
0: So, I mean, we mentioned that Glyph has got a, a version in VR. How did the development of that work then when it, uh, when it came to, because the VR version and the console version are, 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 are fairly different from what I played, certainly in terms of the way they're, they're set up. How did you sort of prioritize uh, working on the two different versions of the game? Well, that was very easy. We made the VR one first. <laughs> and then
1: uh, when the VR version was done and completely, uh, we were satisfied with the product. We started working towards that year of porting it to other platforms. Mm. And so then instead of making it a, a quick hack job and just getting it on there, we actually ended up spending almost uh, 14 months wow. developing on it even further, uh, working on the controls, adding new levels, actually making a story, even more content, tweaks, all mm. the kind of good stuff. To the point where the version we released back in February is actually, in our opinion, both games are good, but the new one is vastly superior as a fleet platformer. I'm very proud of the results so far. It's very uh, good, and, and
0: rightly so. It's, <laughs> it's it is it's it's uh, it's really really lovely. It's really lovely. We talked a little bit about some of those uh, games in the in the history of ball rolling, but um, were were there any sort of like major influences on the development team for Glyph?
1: well, there's always been inspiration. Someone working in game development. All game developers, at least in the current age, started by being gamers at some point. The time yeah. Only the the old old masters are still out there, but it's mainly uh, outweighed by now by people who are just nerds and they became game developers later. <laughs> so, of course, all our... Uh, the aspects of how 3D platformer should be made, all the golden rules are deeply subconsciously already in our minds, and of course would be worked into the way of the game was designed. As for the visuals, I can honestly not say how it all came about, it just kind of came natural. It's just been the creative process of the company, of how we do things. Mm-hmm. As for, like, inspirations, it's easier to, uh, if, after making the game, to go back and see, yeah, okay, seeing, okay, we can actually see where some of the ideas go. Like, I keep seeing, like, uh, because of my own childhood, I keep seeing a lot of Super Mario Sunshine vibes. Ah,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: In regards to the visuals, the color scheme, mm. uh, the wall jumping and stuff like that, it's difficult to explain, but that's how it just resonates inside my brain. Yeah. Other people go all in and Super Monkey Ball. Yeah. Other people go in and the older people go in on Marble Madness. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like, I think it's because this genre is, uh, so wide and so beloved that everyone have their favorites, and Glyph mm. is a love child of all these amazing games, and people will always find something familiar. Yeah, but also hopefully finding something nice and fresh.
0: Absolutely, I mean that's you know that's that's where development of any sort of media or art comes from is is because there's nothing there's nothing new. You know, it's impossible to make something wholly new because you can't. Like you said, you can't undo that wiring in your brain that's been built up over your entire life of things that you like and things that you love and things that stick with you. But like bringing those together and trying to bring in something new and fresh to that experience, that's what you're remembered for at the end of the day.
1: Well, it comes down to most game developers can probably relate to this. We just start out by making a game we really want to play all the way back at the game jam, and then we just refine it to the point where we hope. The rest of the world also wants to come and play with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was similar actually to what in a previous special we talked with a, a development team called RNG Party, who made this fantastic typing adventure with a it's like a dungeon crawler called Backspace Bouken, and that that came out of that old adage of necessity is the mother of invention they they didn't like typing games and they were like well why don't we make a typing game that we do like and <laughs> yeah. that's what became you know that's what became backspace bootcamp which it, you know it inevitably filled a little gap that was in that little tiny little niche genre because it wasn't there
1: we are we are basically in the business of fun so if you're not having fun while making the game it's generally going to reflect on the end products and also have having- a also means that we're having way more fun afterwards because now we just bring all the people to the party. If you were already hosting, yeah, we're like hey, more guests, grab a drink, roll some balls. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah, so that's a wonderful sort of philosophy uh, to have. I mean, for the team, like, what were what were the most crucial elements to get right in the game when it when it came down to what was it? Was it the was it the movement? Was it the atmosphere? What were the priorities there?
1: That's a good thing about having a pretty good uh, mid-sized team is that different members had different priorities and they all kind of came together. But if I had to put my finger on something that was already prioritized very strong from the beginning, is the controls.
4: Mm.
1: One thing was also, of course, like starting with rolling a ball around, adding some movement, adding some jumps. Then, of course, adding double jump, the wall jump, the glide, and just keep going back to like, okay, now we added this mechanic. We need to go back and look at the entire approach to a little design now Mm. and see how this can be probably incorporated. So everything feels like it makes sense and can be satisfying. Because very early on, decided we decided we don't want any power-ups. We don't want them to get the avatar that can make a triple jump. We're not going to make yeah. a lot of stuff. We're going to introduce the entire move, uh, movement scheme through the tutorial. Yeah, And they're just going to give you a huge array of different levels. We're just like, you know, go nuts. We will outline some goals We'll outline that you should probably pick up these items because that's the only way you can keep progressing through the game. So it feels natural. But for the end, we give you the tools to master this game. And uh, the satisfaction comes from the player picking up the challenge, going through, making the difficult jumps, and seeing their own progression as they get more and more comfortable with the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something very satisfying about, and we've spoken about this on the podcast before, and we've cited Super Mario Odyssey as a fantastic example of in 3D of seeing something you want to do in the game, see an area you want to get to. And then figuring out how to get there with the mechanics that are at your disposal, exactly. and like you said, it's so satisfying when you get that right. As much as like a creative problem solving uh, exercise uh, as well, because you've got to you've got to think laterally. It doesn't just say, "Oh, here's the start, there's the end, off you go." It says, like you said, it's just here's this world. See, see what happens.
1: <laughs> and of course, we moved on to a lot of prioritising in regards to the visuals as. We knew the players were spending a lot of time here. We also wanted to make sure that they would enjoy what you'd be watching, Mm. the whole atmospheric upbuilding of the game. And of course, we have an insanely talented musician putting a soundtrack to it all, just creating this weird mix of what people describe as uh, often frustrating gameplay mixed with very very synth music. Yeah. So they can never get they can never get too angry because the music <laughs> is just too nice.
2: I've really enjoyed the music, like playing it today. There's elements of it that remind me of the score to Stranger Things. Oh. Like some of the kind of uh, softer sort of hopeful synth in that show, uh, and to have that like like you say to to calm the frustration when I was stuck on sort of a particular item I was trying to pick up that took me a good hundred goes. <laughs> you know, w- when I did get it, I, I didn't feel annoyed. My blood pressure stayed nice and calm because, yeah, I, I had these soothing visuals and, and kind of sound in the background. So it does work. I think it's it's a good combination to kind of juxtapose the the challenge with something that just keeps you grounded and, and, and level and feeling good throughout as well.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe encouraging is better word for it because uh, it's not like we feel like we're being unfair and uh, frustrating people on purpose and feel like we have to apologize for it. It's more that we really want to keep people keep no one more time come on when you do it it's gonna be you feel it's so amazing
0: <laughs> and it does. There's something very <laughs> key that I noticed very early on, which is is where other sort of games which have that sort of a repetitive loop of like tr- trying again, trying again, trying again, where they fall down, and it's it, the the music doesn't restart when you restart the level, because yeah. uh, otherwise you would go insane. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> you know the amount of times I played Super Monkey Ball and I just hear ready go go. like i'd hear that and then i'd die and then ready go and it's like oh my god that is like oh
2: do you remember when we talked about super hexagon having Mm. you know a version of that that when you died you got a slight pause but then the the soundtrack was moved forward so it felt like you were progressing even though you weren't and that's a really clever trick and i think like you say that idea of music just carrying across the transition when the when the game reloads it, it does work oh, yeah. really well to, to make it feel like you are moving forwards, even if you're not making tangible progress. It's not like hitting a full stop and going back to the beginning every time. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's like it's a run on
1: sentence. <laughs> well, also, the music was to celebrate you when you get that last key. Then the entire music changes to be mm. like, yeah, yes. you did it. And mm. you know, it, it just adds to the satisfaction.
0: Like you said, it's encouraging. It's like, oh, come on, mate, you can do it. Yeah, go on, just one more bit. Whee! here's your victory lap. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's great. It's, really, it's pitched very, very well, it's, very well indeed. Oh, it's
3: just wonderful. It, it it sort of it strides the two chasms of being pillowy soft and also hard as nails as well. It's a really mm. like I don't know if it's it's a if it's a juxtaposition, but just having to really work for victory in this otherwise incredibly serene world. It's an incredibly satisfying game to play sure i i think same as chris i've died hundreds and hundreds of times but i you know i'm not getting annoyed because it's just it's just really lovely to look at it's really calming i love all the little characters all the fun little bugs that are just like oh hello just doing a little bit of recon out, out here in the desert <laughs> oh, by the way <laughs>
1: Well, of course. I mean, saving the world wouldn't be no fun if it was too easy. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. exactly. What if what if the Marvel Cinematic Universe was over in half an hour? Come on, come on, guys. Yeah. yeah. yeah and
1: in game, Phallus gets appendicitis and has to leave early. And then... yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. I <laughs> would have I would have asked for, for some money back probably if that had happened. Don't know from who. What would you say was the biggest challenge in uh, in creating the game?
1: It was uh, mostly about the constant struggle of uh, creating satisfying game loop through the levels, but also like, okay, mm. but how can we keep expanding and expanding if we hadn't, because we could just not stop making levels. It was too much yeah. fun. <laughs> I think that the game has easily plus 80 levels, mm. plus time trials, plus tutorial, plus boss. but there's a lot of levels. And uh, the thing is also about, about creating a game experience where you want to carry the player all the way through. And of course, there's a lot of different tricks. There's, of course, the progression one hop at a time. You, take, you, you get the entire game served in small manageable bites the entire game is very pick up and play for 10 minutes progress put back down or you can also just mm. go crazy and keep playing and keep getting that that feeling of the progress as the temple expands and more levels become available to you and of course also for the people who would enjoy the cosmetics all the small avatars the trails yeah. and the small hidden things put around the levels but the completion is there's easily many 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 hours of fun in this game because one thing about being a game developer is we the second a person buy our game, we won. We got the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not, but that's, not how, that's not how we work. For us, it is so important to carry the player all the way through to the point where we also decided to make a big epic boss battle at the end of the game. Mm. Knowing full well that some people, if the roof of the difficulty was too high, would never make it that far. But uh, we also took uh, later, took... Uh, Steps to work with the difficulty. Uh, I think it's two weeks ago now. We released a ma- major patch where we actually mm-hmm. rearranged quite a few of the levels and tweaked a few things, uh, not to make the game as a whole more forgiving, but to at least make the first half hour more forgiving. Yeah, we want to play. We want the players to get comfortable in their in their new surroundings and new controls. Because we, we, we know for a fact and it's such a weird thing to tell the player, like, no oh, please just play for an hour. As soon as you know the controls, you will have a much more better time getting through these levels.
0: Yeah, and it's something that I'm always fascinated by, certainly with indie developers, is how you respond to that user feedback. You know, at what point do you you listen to people going oh it's too hard to go actually it's well it's meant to be a challenge but then how do you how do you weigh that up in terms of like when you're releasing patches for the game it must be a very difficult thing to sort of get right to know kind of what I guess what is a fix for the game from like a design point of view versus actually what is just fan service.
1: The trick to that is that we have a very very good game designer mm. who actually take that extremely serious and we don't hold any illusions. We know for a fact that the entire team is really, really good at it, this game and any change we make is completely pointless for us as we are <laughs> yeah. already super adept with <laughs> the controls. Yeah. But we do, we do believe in the old fashioned Q and A standard of, well, we just hand the controller to people who has not played before. We will sit mm. and observe them and we'll record them and we will analyze the footage and we will keep taking steps to improving the gaming experience. As that is a complete luxury we have as game developers in the current age, yeah. that we can. Of course, I would never misuse that to release a broken game, but I'll always use it to improve the gaming experience based on user feedback, as long as it's fair. But luckily, that's that, that's often very easy to uh, fix because my main question would just be like, how far did you make it in the game?
0: Yeah,
1: and then and then the answer would often say, like okay, you need to play a little more.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something else that is certainly prevalent in uh, in sort of the modern gaming uh, industry. I don't know actually what the stats are in terms of how big digital marketplaces are versus physical market spaces, but I do know that the Nintendo eShop is so saturated with games. You can't find what you're looking for. There's so much choice. You don't know. There's no like sort of mark of quality against any of these. You're just, it's just, it's insane. And you know, PlayStation Store, from my experience, is the same. Steam is the same. It's just, it's mad. It's absolutely mad. So what is it like to compete for that space? I'm sure that targeted ads have got a lot to do for it, but I, I've seen a lot of ads for Glyph coming up. It worked because <laughs> I saw it and I bought it. <laughs>
1: I'm happy to hear that because that's my job. Among <laughs> <laughs> other things, that's also my job, to make sure people see it. But yeah, it's a very interesting question, and you are very, very much on point in regards to like uh, the cloud that is out there right now of the mm. games being released all the time, big titles taking up the periphery of what's going on most of the time. Most people seem to only be aware at any given point which game are coming out this week, and they always seem to be able to focus on two or three titles. Mm-hmm. When the truth is that hundreds of games are coming <laughs> out each week, and it's uh, completely understandable. Like even me spending as a part of my job a lot of time online reading up on what's going on, I cannot keep track of what's coming out all the time, and I keep being blindsided by things. I'm like, oh, I should remember that one came out. God damn it! <laughs> Unless you have a really, really big big pile of money to help improve visibility the key is to connect with an audience is to to go out there and share your passion for this game it's about conveying very carefully and very precisely what the game is about and uh, getting people in and then of course the variable of time is also very important and having a game people like is, of course, also makes this way easier for me <laughs> as, the, as the good reviews and good responses keep falling back. It does kind of create a, create a cascading effect of ripples of the water and, of, of course, also the word of mouth, which is why we are so happy we now have a demo out, which I actually was something we decided to do post launch as an effort to hmm. make this game more accessible for people who just want to go and see what it's all about. And um, I cannot share any numbers, but I'm happy to say that it has been a huge success. That has really. Good. Yeah. That's good yeah. to hear. I'm getting flooded with nice messages on Twitter. It's uh, so heartwarming. Mm-hmm. I got the message like, I, I, played, I played the demo twice and I bought it. It's awesome. Fantastic. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Thank you. Perfect. Job done.
2: <laughs> I, I think it was, um, it was the game of the day on the eShop yesterday in the UK. Oh, ah,
1: yes. It was actually all of Europe. Oh, really?
0: Nice. That's fantastic.
1: All the Europeans opening up for the eShop yesterday, Cliff.
0: How does something like that come about? How do you get it to that point?
1: You uh, collaborate with Nintendo, and then I say no more. (laughs) (laughs) The dark arts. (laughs) That's fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) You draw the pentagrams on the floor, and you you find all the essential oils, and you find (laughs) it worth your sacrifice. (laughs) It's all about collaboration, honestly. It's about making uh, good examples, about being cooperative. It's about making a good product and being good in your communication, and your marketing. And if you have something special, it will work out for you in the end.
4: Yeah.
0: So we've heard a lot about Glyph now from, uh, from you, Rasmus. I spoke about it quite a few weeks back now when I first played it, but we haven't really heard full opinions yet from my other two cents. I'd love to hear how you're both getting on with the game. So Chris, how are you getting on with Glyph?
2: It's a very nice game. It, it's, it's a very, very nice game. Like we've mentioned so far today, it's, um, it, it scratches a very particular itch uh, and it, it does... It obviously draws from, like we say, that there's this history of of ball rolling games, and, and there are elements of that in there. But it is, like you say, Rasmus, it's it's a 3D platform game at its heart, and I I really like the balance of having these these quite short levels, but with the the kind of exploration element built into them as well. I think what I've enjoyed the most really is doing a level, realizing I I haven't collected everything that was there when you kind of see the. You know, the the conclusion screen at the end that tells you what you've picked up and your time and everything else. And knowing that there's there's an artifact left or, or there's a collectible I didn't find, I I love just leaping about to find that that next thing that must be in there somewhere. And and what works <laughs> what works really nicely from that is it's it, it basically gives each stage a kind of a scaling difficulty. Like that there's a built-in level of of differentiation for the people playing that you can beat the stage quite quickly most of the time, especially early on. Most of the stages are only a, a minute or two long once you've kind of got got the basic handle on the controls. But very early on as well, you start realizing that even in those stages, there are quite tricky hidden areas and collectibles. And then that's what pushed me at least to think, no, I, I want to get better at this. I, I want to kind of find a way of, of really starting to manip- manipulate the controls and, and feeling my way around this world better to to find these things and make more progress. And it's just been a really lovely game to to try and get better at. I, th- I think because it, it does. It's it's not a game that holds your hand. It's very much as you say. You you get all the controls you need within the tutorial levels. Then once you're dropped into that first hub, it's kind of up to you to just go off and and you know make your own way through it. But to to start to kind of. Get a feel for for how the jumps work, how the kind of slam maneuver works to give you a bit more momentum up into the air. To you know how to start to gauge your trajectory across jumps. Thinking about how if you leap off curved surfaces or, or sloped surfaces, it's going to change how you you move and maneuver as well. There's an awful lot to it for having quite a simple control scheme, and it's it's a very freeing experience as well. In terms of a, a lot of platform games, even talking about games like Mario games there is an element where it will kind of almost like lock you to a platform. You sort of leap and there's just a little bit of kind of hidden support. And I quite like in this that that isn't there. You know, it's it's very much about saying, (laughs) you know, you can see the platform and you've got the jumps you need to get there. It's just about you actually figuring out how you get there and there's nothing that's going to kind of just latch you on and pull you in you, you have to just make it you have to make it work
1: yeah and I, and I promise we did not put any platforms in there you cannot reach <laughs> even though that would be a really really good joke later
2: yeah yeah but no, I, I'm really really loving uh, it
1: thank you so much Matt
2: and, and like I say it's it's one I think people should definitely try and it's just a very fun game to try and get good at I think <laughs> that's what I've enjoyed like feeling like I'm mm. I'm getting better as I play
1: I, lo- I love the fact that you are so much better explaining the game than I am so <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Well, thank you so much. That that's that's
0: so nice to hear. How about you, Minty? How are you getting on with it?
3: When when I play this game, I think about all the other games that, I'm, that I've currently sort of got on the go that I'm juggling here and there. And I think uh, what you said, Chris, about games scratching itches—that's that's pertinent for me as well. Because at the moment, I'm every now and then I'll I'll load up uh, the Binding of Isaac i blast through a run takes half an hour, high octane entertainment, good bish, bash, Bosh done. But then when I've got a little bit more time, you can just open up glyph and just get really immersed in this lovely, wistful, floaty, ephemeral world. Even though all the courses are, they're not that large. They can, some can take, um, half a minute to beat. To be honest, if you're better at the game than I am, <laughs> there's still there's still so much uh, replayability for each level. Like, oh, I haven't got all the coins. I need to get that that big floaty beetle, but I, I still don't have a a single ding dang clue how to get. I'm missing some gems, and I've got to get the new skin. I need to. I, I need to unlock the watermelon beetle. I'm, des- I'm, I'm desperate to see what it looks like. Like all of these skins, they have such. They've got such tantalising names. The annihilator.
1: It <laughs> has so much fun making those. Oh boy, that was such a joy. Yeah. Both uh, having, of course, a million ideas for these, but also having the capabilities internally in the team to just like. Yeah, sure. We can make that. <laughs> so any silly idea would just be uh, if you if if could draw it on a paper and describe it, then we could probably put it in the game. Amazing.
3: <laughs> I'm very bad at unlocking them because they are like, oh, I, I need to jump onto this this angled tombstone that's half a mile away. <laughs> I'll finish the level now and I'll go back to unlock. Oh, but I could. Oh. Why progress in the game if you're not going to be able to look good doing it maybe
0: I'll, just, maybe I'll
3: just carry on doing it and even though uh even though I'm sort of being pulled apart by these two these two opposing forces, progression and fashion <laughs> oh, it's it's just wonderful I'm really, really enjoying it. I do have to say though oh, no. you have mentioned that fun is an underpinning factor. And I do think you need to relay that message back to whoever set the times for the time trials because (laughs) some of them are extraordinarily hard. I've got, (laughs) I I just, I I can't even begin to hope for a silver medal.
1: I will say that's one of the places we really really hear the outcries of both (laughs) reviewers and players. So uh, after the patch, we did uh, at least we were merciful in regards to the bronze medal. Yeah, yeah. So at least our players can actually make it through the levels, and then from there work on the times. Yes.
0: Yeah, because I remember like when I first played it, as soon as you passed that bronze medal cusp, the level would just restart, and I was like, oh, I just want to practice. I can't even get to the. I can't even get to the halfway point. Uh, in the I, time exactly. And we were
1: very We were like, "Okay, that's not fair." We I mean, actually had a long talk on like how do we work with this to make it a more fun experience, and it, both the, of course, from a technical standpoint, the easiest, but also from like, as you said, just to give it to the players a better chance to practice. Mm-hmm. The obvious answer was just to make let's make bronze a little more forgiving and giving the players that, that opportunity to practice become better from there. Or at very least, actually
3: make it through the level. Ah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. Glad, I'm yeah. glad I started plagues. I got to the time trials after that was implemented. <laughs> yeah, that Never got anything less than a bronze, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But no, I, I I'm really loving this game. It's oh, it's it's a real mesmerizing, gentle poultice for all of these games <laughs> that are just so flashy and so sort of bombard you with detail and realism. It's just it's really nice just to have something that's so so minimalist in its design there's nothing that really sort of taxes you to actually look at it's just oh like i've got all these lovely platforms here's another bug waving at me i love it oh yeah it's really nice it's a lovely thing to look at it's lovely to play and i have to say the slam mechanic oh boy that's Wow! I never knew I needed something in the game as much as this. <laughs> it's just... Oh, it's just. oh, oh no! I've overshot. shot. No, I haven't. <laughs> fantastic! And the reticle at the bottom of, of the floor, so you don't have to rely on your shadow. Oh, yeah! Incredible! Just very, in,
0: very well considered
3: design. Incredible design! Fantastic uh, visuals! Oh, oh, chef's kiss! Chef's kiss! <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: you so much
0: the two games I've been playing at the moment. So I've, I've always got something on the go on my Switch and I've got something on the go on my PlayStation 5. On the PlayStation 5, I've been absolutely obsessed with Returnal. Returnal is the opposite of Glyph, I think. <laughs> it's so frantic. There's so much going on. There are so many particles. You, your controller is is like just vibrating out of your hands in every possible way. It is relentless and I, I love it. But, oh, it's lovely just to, just to pick up my Switch in handheld, and step away from the TV, just leave the room, and enter this, this, this big, beautiful world in Glyph. Lovely stuff. Lovely.
1: Well, I guess the word of the day is uh, escapism. It's being run a lot these days, but mm. it is something we purposely put in there as uh, giving people a nice experience of just like, uh, I can just turn off most parts of your brain because you need to pay attention mm. now, and we will give you something nice to look at, We give you some nice music, and we keep have something that will keep you nice and busy for a while you can just relax mm. or you can die and die again until uh, you make that damn jump but that's your decision <laughs> we, we, promote, we, we have not designed levels in the way we require players to do uh, insane stunts to to complete them that's for all the, the little extras i guess you could say
0: and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor on the super nintendad's entertainment podcast catch us grumbling about the news every monday on the morning Dadcast, chatting with industry professionals and most importantly teaching our kids just how incredible or horrible 80s and 90s video game and pop culture truly was all right what else you got a sega slingshot <laughs> <laughs> don't have a cow man <laughs> the blast processing was really fast why can knuckles fly even tie prawn what does that even mean <laughs> samurai pizza cats Gabe, I, we almost named you Guido Anne, Shelby. <laughs> Doing a Belvedere requires a set of low hangers. I'm going <laughs> to Right here on Greenlit. So, as you'll know if you're a long-time listener to the podcast, we here at R3 cents. Love a deep dive, especially uh, when it comes to the lineage of video games. We, we love to see where the mechanics of certain games started by dredging up the very earliest examples from the annals of video game time. And 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 I must say, balls are no exceptions. <laughs> and uh, we, we've touched on it already of uh, some some of the big games from this family tree uh, stem. And I'm going to hand over to Chris to talk about the game that yeah potentially started it all, Marble Madness. Chris.
1: Take
2: it away. I I think Marble Madness has to be the first ball rolling game. And and in as much as it's the first game where it was clear that you were controlling a ball intentionally, as opposed to many games before it, where you were controlling pixels that might've been in the shape of a ball, but were actually (laughs) meant to represent a person or a ship (laughs) or, or whatever. So Marble Madness was very clear that it's like, this is a ball and it will behave as a ball behaves. And... Yeah, I, I think it's it's a good ball rolling game as well. I mean, I, I played Marble Madness for the first time back on the Mega Drive was the first port I played. It was a pretty solid port of the arcade original. And even back then, it's, it's a short game, especially if you can play it well. It's very short, but I quite enjoyed the, the purity of it. You know, there's only a handful of stages. You just need to get through them before the time runs out. And it's it's a bit like arcade racing games, I guess, like Super Hang On or Outrun. You know, when the time runs out, that's that's your game done. So you're you're just trying to get through the stages to to add a bit more time on and, and get to the end of the, the whole thing. But it, it differs from being a straight racing game because the ball you're controlling has its own spherical physics engine that drives the whole challenge. And, you know, when you're on a flat surface, once you start moving in a direction, it controls basic basically like any isometric action game. But as soon as you then hit a slope or an incline, you then actually have to think a little bit that you have to manage speed. You have to counter steer against the weight of your little marble. And I really noticed this properly. Like a few in the last few years, I've, I have finally got to play a proper Marble Madness arcade machine. Oh. And it really does change how you play the game because whereas the home console versions, use a D-pad and that's kind of perfectly serviceable. The proper stand-up cabinet has a trackball. Oh. oh thinking of the trackball as being like that is your marble, it just changes completely how you you think about the way you play. So you're you're kind of slapping the orb in the direction of your choosing, which is then mapped one-to-one to the marble on screen. So you have a proper analog control to roll slowly and steadily or, or a bit faster. You can kind of spin it madly and you really do gain speed quite quickly. And and suddenly you can kind of you can jump across gaps with a bit more consistency you've got the kind of physical feedback that means that it's much easier to to stop accurately on tight little platform ledges just by virtue of the trackball being able to kind of almost communicate the weight and resistance of the marble more than it does if you're just pressing left or right on a d-pad you know glyph is obviously not a trackball game but there is something to be said for how analog control is applied to your movement because Glyph as well has a very specific physics system that I, I think is probably closest to something like Marble Blast that you know might you know we've touched upon today already, and because you have those abilities like the jump and the hover, it takes away the sort of heavy and deliberate feeling of of the ball in marble madness to be something that's much more nimble and controllable. And that's that's a really good thing, you know. That, that's not a bad thing at all, and it's a really interesting way of modernizing some of the unique traits that Marble Madness had. Because momentum still plays a huge part in how you get around a stage in Glyph. You know, once you're moving, the nature of your avatar being spherical means that stopping dead isn't really an option unless you're on a completely flat piece of land, and that really plays into again when you when you're going for these kind of difficult jumps, you're you're kind of banking off different angled surfaces you have to think about, okay, well, what is going to happen if I'm firing at, at kind of heavy velocity in that direction? If I hit something going the other way, it's obviously going to change the trajectory of my jump. And that's really nice to see how that takes into account that you are a ball. It's it's still very much that you are a ball. I think that the sort of precision platform that's required even in some of glyph's early stages also put me in mind of some of the platforming we saw in blue fire recently, that yeah. you know, we, we talked to the developers of blue fire and I think both games have a, a real respect for their players that you're completely free to move in any direction. And in both titles, it feels like speed running is actively encouraged that it's something that, you know, glyph allows you to be fast and to kind of use the little tricks you pick up and understand the the layout of the land to get better and better. And I found myself replaying a lot of stages in Glyph, knowing that I could execute my movement better. And like Minty said, with the time trial stuff, it's really addictive, even if it's bloody hard. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of it pushes you to to kind of want to do better because you can you can kind of start to see what you need to do, but then it's about execution and improving that. And, you know, anyone who has watched an awesome game's done quick run of Marble Madness will know that high-end play in that game is about manipulating momentum, taking shortcuts, utilizing the space. And that's Glyph in a nutshell. It's, it's the same kind of core concept is there, that it's it's stage-based. It's a kind of explorative platformer that requires you to really get a handle on, on your avatar being a ball to make progress through mm-hmm. the game because it, it controls, you know, quite uniquely. And it, it's such a simple concept, but one that I think really does reflect back to the, the genesis of this strange platforming sub-genre. Because it's it's all driven in in Glyph as it was in Marble Madness before, by controlling a sphere and and thinking about the unique challenges that that presents. So it, I think it's got a really nice kind of through line on the family tree as you mentioned, all the way back to kind of the beginning. Even if kind of the outcome looks very different, I think the, there's definite connections to to lovely old Marble Madness from Midway.
1: That's wonderful. First of all, thank you so much. That's really a really great analysis of the game, and I'm super appreciative. You're putting so much work into uh, your thoughts in regards to this. And uh, it warms my heart that Glyph uh, <laughs> have this effect on people. And, uh, I don't know. I'm practically speechless, but for some reason, we guys keep saying like the, the momentum of being a ball. just keeps reminding me of a funny story when I was doing game testing on a new demo, because uh, we let the player go through a bunch of levels. And then in level three, we purposely introduce the first slanted platform they have to jump to. And I can say through the process of going through this game with uh, more than eight different testers, they were all s- surprised by the outcome of them slamming into a surface. They were slanted and then being shot right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then they were like, oh, of course. I'm. Yeah, that actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> but it was just funny because I was like,
0: I wonder if this person does
1: it too. Yep, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, there's a particular series that, I don't think you'd necessarily immediately associate with the ball rolling chuckles of uh, Marble <laughs> Madness and Super Monkey Ball. <laughs> and that's the Metroid series. Now, in the very first Metroid game, one of the key mechanics that you gain for Samus is the morph ball ability, mm-hmm. which sees you be able to, you guessed it, morph into a ball. And then you can roll around. You can squeeze through tight gaps, you can uh, drop bombs. Much like Eminem, but he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his (laughs) mouth with the words. No, it doesn't matter. And the Morph Ball is an absolute staple of the series now. And when Metroid evolved to 3D with Metroid Prime, so did the Morph Ball. And the games really embraced the uh, potential of using that mechanic in a 3D environment. I'm going to hand over to Minty to talk a bit more about Metroid's balls.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So the more I thought about this... I've been done a little bit dirty here (laughs) because I've I've come to the conclusion that the Morph Ball in the Metroid series, it's ball rolling in name only. (laughs) In the 2D games especially, it's not really a ball per se. It's just... It's more of a crawl, but with a funny shape. <laughs> more of a method of gatekeeping, let's say. So to progress, you need to go through this tight space, but you can't at the moment because you can only crouch. You can't move forward as you're crouching, etc., etc. So you need to go to the screen to the left on planet Zebes and uh, and, and grab the uh, the morph ball from the Chozo statue or all the rest of it. Yeah, more of a gatekeeping thing, which uh, you, you sort of contrast that with uh, with just being given all of your movement mechanics in the tutorial for glyph and just being told to to go wild and complete the levels in uh, in in the way that, uh, that your heart desires it's <laughs> it, yeah there's a strange dichotomy there that isn't particularly similar but it is an iconic transformation let's say and in the 3D metroid games it does the morph ball does become a little bit more bally i guess <laughs> a little bit more rolly. i mean sometimes there are rails that you can roll down instead of just little caves that you have to explore and all the rest of it. There's geography that evokes that, those lovely marble runs that we we all lusted over in the catalogues of the early learning center. <laughs> but still, I don't think the Metroid games, I don't think they're ball rollers in the true sense. There's no real danger of uh, falling off a platform and having to start again, as I've done many, many times uh, in Glyph. So it's more of a mode of transport, or maybe not transport, but transit, I suppose, <laughs> than than a gameplay mechanic for the most part. Uh, yes, you need to you need to drop a bomb in the morph ball to escape the clutches of the titular Metroids, but it's more uh, it's more of a button combo than in in that instance than uh than an actual uh, rolling mechanic. So I'm sorry to deviate from what you've given me, Jonathan, but for the <laughs> sake of balance. Or ballance. Oh, <laughs> stop it! Which, incidentally, is a PC ball rolling game in the vein of Marble Madness from the early two thousands, I believe. Well, which uh, I've never <laughs> played, so I can't really talk about it. I want to talk about what I've experienced as the most, the most complete, and also the most bullshit ball roller in games I've had the misfortune to experience. <laughs> which is thankfully uh, just a mini game. It's a uh, roll goal from The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Oh, oh goodness. Much like uh, the old uh, wooden labyrinth puzzles, this is eight barrierless levels of hell that you control with the Wiimote. Gyro controls, mind you, going back to what you were saying earlier, Jonathan, with an, a what I can only describe as an awful built-in anti-cheese mechanic that basically has every single centimetre of the course that you need to roll the ball down checkpointed. So you can't think, oh, it's taking... I've got to take the, uh, the corner here, but it also loops back around so I can just jump over the gap by rolling fast enough. No, no, if you do that, the lady who basically designed the game was like, no, you can't do that. You have to pay me five rupees to, to do it again. Oh, horrible, horrible stuff. <laughs> so you've just got to sit there for hours, and it will take hours, <laughs> grinding your wrist bones to dust. And for what? A fishing lure in the shape of a frog that can catch the Hylian loach. We've all played Ocarina of Time, so that is not adequate recompense, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) But then in the middle of these two extremes, not really ball rolling and maybe too much ball rolling, (laughs) we have the wonderful, ethereal, floaty, well-designed fantastic to control glyph so it's been a nice uh, exploration into the the extremes of the evolution of this genre and i'm really glad to see where it's come to in 2021 so thank you for listening
0: (laughs) thank you you so much a nintendo life review for glyph just led with the headline it's Metroid Prime's Morph Ball, the game. Oh. Uh, <laughs> because I think, it is, I think it's, an, it's an easy comparison to make. Uh, I think partly to do with the style of the design of it as well. I think you're right that, yeah, of course, Metroid is not ball. They're not ball rolling games. But I think there are comparisons to be made in the fact that, well, for the main part, is that rolling around as a ball is fun and that's why it works in metroid because it's fun to do yes yes it helps that you know you need to do it and uh, and it's useful to do it and you see it utilized a lot in speed runs whereby going into the morph ball and using some of the layout of the um of the topology of the planet really really helps actually it's quicker to go by morph ball especially for the opening frigate escape right at the start the best speed runs of that they all do it with the morph ball until it's taken away from you
3: yeah Yeah, no, in in Metroid Prime speedruns, it it relies so heavily on the morph ball because you jam it right into the corner of one of the rooms and you build up so much speed that it actually, Mm. I think it, I think the uh, the speed integer wraps around and you basically go infinitely fast <laughs> and it just catapults you straight out of the uh, of the room geography, and you just end up sort of on the roof and you can go. Oh, don't worry about doors anymore. Don't worry about loading zones. I'm just going to go straight to get this overpowered item from about 40 hours in. It's, yeah, something I've overlooked actually. <laughs> I don't think that's an intended mechanic, is it? That's 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 more game breaking, isn't it?
1: Oh, but uh, yeah. there's a huge subgenre in regards to that stuff. People enjoy. Testing the boundaries of the game universe and see what they can get away with. Oh, yeah. In regards yeah. to our early alpha testing of Glyph, we also kept having issues with people being too adept with the controls <laughs> and getting to and, and getting to places where we did not want them to go. And uh, but that's that's great that. Uh, we had this one player pushing the boundaries so we could constantly keep pushing things further and further away and keep saying there's no way he can jump over there now <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> we released, it, released a new version and lo and behold half-hour later it. it's like, am I supposed to be here? I'm like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> 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 ah, it's great. It's great. Uh, we end up uh, rewarding that uh, tester with a with an uh, avatar inside the game. Oh, oh fantastic. I just wrote him said, what do you want? You, you're practically an employee by now. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Cost Nintendo making the reference. I and mean, I think it kind of made sense in regards to... I would never, never use the word clickbait, but you do want people to read the article. And Metroid uh, is always a good hook to use. Oh, absolutely. So, but uh, what, what I really loved is that uh, what I guess is one of the major Twitter profiles called Metroid Database. I actually also retweeted it. So, uh, uh, so the entire Metroid community on Twitter just said, like, yes, Cliff. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I, know, I, 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 won't, I won't say anything. I mean, fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it. You said it. Ooh. Free publicity. <laughs> you can call me a liar. That's your words. <laughs> and so the ball falls in my court uh, and uh, and and i'd like to chat a little i know seamless oh, right no. i'd like to chat a little bit about the modern 3d ball rolling and platform games starting of course with super monkey ball and for those of you that don't know back in the day i used to be a a, a fairly prolific monkey baller ascending to the lofty heights of the, the the top 10 in the world rankings for that game i will say this was long before the time of online leaderboards and that sort of functionality. So, you know, we were reduced to entering in our top <laughs> scores for every level into an online database. No, that's very much my girlfriend. You wouldn't know as She goes to another school. <laughs> 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 exactly yeah i mean goodness knows how i'd fare in the modern era but but needless to say i was obsessed with with monkey ball i loved the i like the, the the minimalist design of, of the game you know there, there wasn't a jump button there weren't any power-ups there weren't any gimmicks it was just down to to, to rolling around a, a, just a simple monkey in a simple ball, and the the outcome of your sessions was entirely down to your skill your timing and your precision the variety in the level designs was superb. Again, nothing that you couldn't master without a little practice. Very little left to chance, say for, you know, a, cu- a couple of stages that, that did legitimately seem a bit unfair. But the way the series evolved, it took into consideration a lot of elements that were apparent in other ball rolling games. Stuff that we've touched on, like Marble Blast. Uh, jump functionality was introduced in, in Banana Blitz, which, I mean for me, removed some of the purity of the Monkey Ball levels, but it it, it did open up, up, you know, a whole new avenue of, of level designs, which which was, was exciting, even if they didn't actually deliver on that potential. Then we got Super Monkey Ball Adventure, which is, I mean, it's a really bad game, but I do admire what they were trying to do. They, they were sort of trying to go a bit more open world with it, with sort of Larger three D platforming, less constrained to like individual levels, and your movement abilities uh, included being able to open your ball and glide uh, using the hemispheres as wings, which was, I mean, seen very briefly in the monkey ball target mini game. But it, it was it was such a satisfying thing to do, just to sort of be able to for a start you know you're, you're sort of freeing the monkey from its constraints which just as a just as a gesture was quite satisfying but just being able to glide to give give you a bit more maneuverability in the air it opens up a whole heap more of a you know potential options to to where you're going how you're going there and that was an element that I loved in Glyph just being able to to sprout your wings from your spherical form and and glide around it it just feels fantastic to do and it's aided in Glyph by Minty's touch on it just some very delightfully floaty physics and like my first impression when I started playing Glyph was that it was too floaty it felt too unstable compared to more grounded affairs like like monkey ball and marble blast but once i got used to it and really lent into the options it then gave me oh oh boy then it started to become just very very satisfying to play it, it reminded me a, a bit at first of, of games like uh super meat boy and how in that, you can float for a totally unrealistic amount of time in the air. And it allows you to sort of adjust your jump and, and, and fall quite malleably to sort of aid you as you go through it. It's just insanely tough platforming sections. And like you, Chris, Glyph did also really remind me of Blue Fire. Yeah. And, you know, Blue Blue Fire's got some superb 3D platforming in it. And, yeah, like you said, Glyph just it gives you the tools to just to figure it out. It allows you to find your own way through it. And, and again, something that Blue Fire does, which again, you touched on, Rasmus, is the verticality that is in Glyph. That's something that's very special. You don't see that a lot in ball rolling games. I mean, Monkey Ball is almost entirely flat when it comes to, uh, you know, its level design. It's certainly in the early games when you didn't have the option to jump and there were ground based hazards to avoid. And Glyph really encourages you to, to look up. And the physics in the game that, you know, allow you to sort of wall jump and crawl up the sides of columns and walls if you're careful enough. It's such a refreshing slant to have in a just in a 3D platforming game. And I mean and certainly in a, in a ball rolling game. I mean for me, the strongest part of glyph are the the exploration levels, you know, and, and we spoke earlier about what, what it is about glyph that really sets it apart from other games in the in the genre. And 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 that's it for me, because a lot of ball rolling games, they're very arcadey. You know, they're focused on score chasing and speed running. And these stages in Glyph, they're just so, they're so gentle. They're so contemplative. You know, it's just, it's just a lovely atmosphere to spend time in. You know, you can carefully consider your next move and, and really focus on implementing your strategies rather than, you know, worrying about, you know, running the clock out or getting a lower score. And obviously that's not to say that, score chasing and timed levels aren't fun they they're great and that that is a side of the game that's also there and it's it's really nice to to to, to shake up the pace you know i said earlier about you know uh playing returnal and glyph in sort of alternating sessions was was really really nice but you don't even need to do that. Like you've got that change of pace right in right in the same game. You know, it's you've you've got the potential to play the levels fast and and experiment with with new and crazy like techniques that you think, oh actually, you know, if I if I if I if I jump just right and I get enough momentum from this slam and pick up a double jump from from that little charge beacon there, then I reckon I can slam off the top right corner of that tombstone, bounce off that pillar, <laughs> get that gem, and get into the goal. And then you can bloody do it if you try three thousand times. <laughs> but, but it's there. Like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a toy box. It's, you've got these tools. You've got these options. And then it's it's down to your imagination how you want to play it. It's it's lovely to have that that sense of freedom in a game. And it's lovely for for that to be like the new spin on the ball rolling genre. And it really it leans into that. The game knows what it is. It knows that it's it's doing something different. And ultimately, you know, it's it's just fun to be a ball and explore the world with those abilities. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Like I said, I often get those desires to play a ball rolling game, and I can't see myself ever wanting a different game to scratch that itch because Glyph has got everything I want. It's I love it. Absolutely love it. That's wonderful.
1: <laughs> happy to can be your go-to when you want to want to scratch that itch. Be happy to pro- provide provide.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So to, to, to finish off, what's next for Bovert Games? You know, is there DLC planned for Glyph? Are you continuing to make more levels? Are you branching out onto maybe PlayStation VR? Are there more ball rolling games back to VR? What's, what's coming up next?
1: Coming up next is our Steam release mm. of Glyph, which is hilarious because that's where the VR version started. And now we're returning to Steam again with this new game. Lovely. Hopefully bringing the game to an even bigger audience. And then uh, moving on from there, we have to take a little piecemeal based on the composition of being in the team and stuff like that. But all in good time, we keep expanding and bringing Glyph to everyone who could possibly want to play it ever <laughs> and uh, taking it from there. As for the roadmap, we have plenty of ideas what we want to do with Glyph. If we could, we want to make Glyph the next Super Monkey Ball and make it for the next 10 years and just keep making content and having fun with it. Wonderful. We have All kinds of crazy ideas of how we can just take the established system and just break it. And then people have to use exactly the same controls, but we just make up things so they have to uh, interact with the world in different ways. There's plenty of ways the stories can still go. There's plenty of places to explore and there's plenty of game modes to uh, branch into if we ever have... The capability to do so, or have the resources to do so, and people want to play it. Of course, well,
2: you've got three fans here. I'm sure we'll be buying whatever comes next. <laughs>
1: ah, perfect. I'll just I'll make sure to put that in the budget. <laughs> Good news, boss. For sixty dollars. <laughs>
0: I, I can't wait to see what uh, the studio does next. It's really great to get to chat with you today and uh, and find out more about uh, what well, about the game and the company and yourself and uh, yeah, you can you can certainly consider these three uh, these three cents hooked. Oh, wonderful. I'm
1: so happy to hear that. I just want to say to everyone listening out there if uh, this sounds like a kind of game, we now have a demo available on the Nintendo Switch. You can go download it right now. It's free levels, 45 minutes of game time. It should be Everything you could ever want in a 3D platformer demo.
0: Excellent. So there we go. That has been our balls. Thank you so much for joining us, Rasmus. If people want to keep up to date with what's happening with Bolvert Games, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, I would drop by on Twitter. That's PlayGlyph on Twitter. We also have PlayGlyph on Facebook and we have PlayGlyph.com. So, PlayGlyph. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'd love for you to chat to us on our social media channels as well especially if you get the chance to play Glyph or tell us about your favourite ball rolling games any other gems that we've missed out on or uh, Sebastian if you want to get in touch with us about uh, your classic <laughs> I've got some balls we'd love to hear from you I'm
2: sure he's listening
0: you can reach out to us on Facebook <laughs> facebook.com slash our three cents we're on Instagram at O3C podcast if you go to YouTube and search for our three cents you can find our YouTube channel with all of our amazing video content Or you can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn.
2: I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. Clement underscore Boo. Boo.
0: And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, then uh, you can go to patreon.com slash our three cents. We've got a whole host of perks available uh, in different pledging tiers, including full bonus episodes, uh, which there's loads of them and they're fantastic. There's exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes from all the episodes. There's dozens of them as well Uh, there's also access to the patreon exclusive discord channel and uh rasmus is now a part of that channel as well so uh if if you want to chat to him you can then then you can do that it's just behind a lovely page (laughs) (laughs) it's worth it i'm always worth talking to (laughs) that is patreon.com slash our three cents and please do join us next week as We've, i mean very it's a very exciting point we're hitting the halfway point of season three of our three cents and we will be talking about our top five oh my goodness fifth favorite video games i know we're almost the end's in sight oh. it's mad i'm so excited and uh, we'll be kicking off next week with chris's fifth favorite video game of all time it's a good one
2: and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor
0: Good there are a lot of podcasts with comic book reviews and interviews with some of the greatest creators in the industry but only one will tell you scientifically what the worst comic book of all time is
2: and the best we've been ranking comic book stories for six years we have a list with over a thousand comics on it and we're adding more every month for rocket ajax on the Lit podcast network